Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? That's a rhetorical question. They can't respond to that. But I hope everyone's well amid um, whatever's going on in the world right now. How are you, Aris? I am uh, doing very well. I have hacked my working life and my sleeping schedule to maximize efficiency and uh, utility. Great. So, so, so what, what, what's your sleep uh, work balance looking like now in terms of the split? What's the split Um, like? I think it's the sleep. I'm not getting that much of, but at least I'm getting the leisure. So I think it's half and half or a bit more than, than half being the leisure. So I'm doing well, I'm doing well. I think, uh, I think I'm going to get penalized for it eventually, but for now I'm enjoying it. Well, Hey, uh, you know, as long as you're having fun, there's there's not much that can go bad there. Welcome, everybody. To Stranded Conversations, a podcast where you can tune in to hear myself, Artemis, and Aris talk about a diff- an array of topics that have been on our minds. And hopefully you can get some you know, cool ideas out of it. Hopefully you can get really annoyed at us and uh, rage at us on Twitter, or you can just listen to us talk for for a while and and feel entertained and like you're not alone in this isolation period. We've actually come at the very end of coronavirus, or at least of the first wave of coronavirus. Um, so we're not even innovators in our field. We just very much are yeah. We're late into coronavirus. We're late into the topic that we will delve into soon. So uh, we are not innovators. We're not original. Artemis, what what can we do? We're like the quibby of of yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, but hey, if we follow Quibi's overwhelming marketing success, that would be cool. Um, but yeah, so the, the 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 podcast is called Stranded Conversations, and it's 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 I think its meaning is twofold. First of all, stranded conversations because our conversations are literally stranded in the universe and stranded from a context, as we've as we've mentioned before, because we we we've ki- we've kind of. There's a lagging factor to our podcast for sure, uh, but yeah. And then the second, uh, then the second meaning of stranded conversations uh, is that we both studied in London across the strand from each other. So I went to Kings, and Aris went to LSE, and yeah. So right now we're actually in different locations as well. So you got to give us props, guys, for. Uh, doing this podcast in two different locations in terms of structure of this podcast usually we'll we have some notes of what we want to discuss but we haven't really scripted the podcast and it will just take us into new ideas hopefully and in terms of how regular we want this to be i don't know what 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 Aris, you're shooting for in terms of how regular we want to be with this podcast uh, i think the so, more irregular the better yeah you know because then you have things to say and you're not forcing things you know 
Exactly. So you won't see us coming. We'll just pa show up uninvited. Oh, a few housekeeping things. We 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 don't use bad words in this, or at least I think I have a bit more of a potty mouth than you, Aris. But we 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 don't we won't be using explicit uh, yeah. language, or at least we'll try not to. Yeah. Um, I'll try not to, and uh, that makes me sound like I'm I'm some sort of really badly educated or badly raised person i'm not i just occasionally like to throw in a cuss word um yeah you know you know what they say there are scientific studies that it's proven that if you if you swear you're smarter exactly and i think was it uh uh aristophanes who swore in his uh in his plays and his amazing comedies i'm pretty sure he had some yeah. swear words in there yeah so you know if aristophanes did it aris and artemis can as well yeah also very greek names maybe we should t- touch up on that we're both greek uh and also a bit of a disclaimer it's an obvious disclaimer we're, we're what 20 what 20 something year olds we obviously aren't experts in our field so very much this is more of a lighthearted conversation, which will hopefully inspire people to have other conversations or maybe hear something that they haven't heard before. It's it's very much informal, so don't attack us, please. Or if you do, we'll we we, we will we will attack back. <laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. So today's topic. I think enough of the housekeeping. I don't know if you have anything else to no, say. No, no, I don't. Uh, I don't. All right. So today's topic is a juicy one, and I feel like it's a timeless one as well. So we're not too late in the discussion of it, but we're not too early either. We're just in the sweet spot of this whole thing unfolding, and maybe we're at the cusp of this influencer lifestyle being reaching its inflection point, potentially, and maybe things will be completely different uh, a few years down the line. But we decided we would talk about influencers because they have been at the forefront of both of our minds and, you know, lives at the moment. So, and we, and we have some opinions on that because we are opinionated people with... And we are not influencers ourselves. Yeah. We have what? Uh, t- how many followers on Instagram? I think if we add up our followers, we get barely above a thousand. Yeah, and we both have private accounts, and I don't know about you, but yeah, I'm yeah. quite selective. Yes, I mean, even, I'm even selective with my LinkedIn connections. So I'm becoming so actually now. Now that I've hit the point where I'm above a thousand, um, on LinkedIn. Above a thousand. Yeah, wow. baby. Yeah. <laughs> Although now I've become a bit more reckless with my LinkedIn and my LinkedIn connections. I'm trying to get to the five hundred plus thing so that. I don't look like a, like a noob, like a LinkedIn noob, but oh well. Yeah, I think for me, no, for me, it's going to be a case where it's only going to get up. It's only going to go up and it's only going to go up, as they say, you know, up and to the right. Who says that? St. Paul? (laughs) No, I mean, no. (laughs) St. Peter? (laughs) St. Peter. I got the saints wrong. Yeah. So, please, start with uh, our first topic. 
So our first topic, I think, is a very good segue into this as well, because we kind of, I think it's important to place our, what influ, to, to position the influencers into sort of the contemporary register of our lives first, and to, and to sort of maybe pause it on what they represent, or what they should do, or what they maybe shouldn't do, and how what they do disturbs us. I think that's an important part. And especially amid the Black Lives Matter movement, what this means. Um, so I would... I think, t- to begin with, th- we should first note that influencer culture in general and social media has probably and definitely helped, uh, you know, speed up processes and definitely raise awareness i think they i think social media has gotten that down to the t and no matter how much i hate hashtags and i hate the trendification of human rights issues it is working in that you know a a trendy hashtag like now everyone knows the me too movement the black lives matter movement isn't necessarily something that is new it's been around for a while but social media and sort of the effects social media has and America has on social media platforms, uh, which ripples towards the rest of the world, uh, definitely has allowed for people to get angry and to experience this completely televised, uh, at least for the non-Americans, um, a revolution, uh, for human rights, um, so it's very interesting, and I think that I will we will begin by giving kudos to social to social media for that. But there's a, you know, obvious other side to this, and that is the side of how can. Aside from the fact that this will generate a good conversation, how can you ensure that the conversation you're having around Black Lives Matter is one that is actually of material purpose and use and essence how can you ensure that it's a useful conversation to have and one that will actually have an effect a a material effect beyond a bunch of people knowing that um, black life matters is a thing and uh, we should all try and be more inclusive yeah you i mean you brought up a couple of things that um i think they are topics in themselves um first one being trendification what it means and whether it is positive thing or a negative thing where whether it is new uh whether it is something that social media has brought with it or whether it existed in some form before um now the other thing that you brought up is really the effect america has on today's world and despite all the talk about how it's lost its dominance it it really dominates at least the the english speaking um world uh and um you could say the western world in general uh, in, in in the narratives that come yeah. out of it and now yes it is a movement um that is 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 around for many years the black lives matter movement but it's only today it's only now that it, it enters the real mainstream where every organization out there at least 
is accepting its name. I'm not necessarily saying it's accepting its cause, because the cause, if you were to study it, um, you know, it's not what the name says only. But mm -hmm. at least they're accepting of the name and they're embracing the name and they're embracing what the name means to them. And maybe that is something that happens in every worldwide movement. I feel like there is a really subjective interpretation of what this means to our world that is happening. Um, and what is the meaning of Black Lives Matter? And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about those on the very right, or at least on the opposite side, who are claiming that all all lives matter. I'm not, not talking about that. I'm not talking about those that are against the movement. I'm talking about those that are for the movement and how maybe they are taking their own freedom in interpreting what it means to, um, to rebel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean the means of the rebellion, but also what it means to change and where where the change should be in what direction and how radical it should be in any case we do have now this phenomenon where the influencers those that have the followers the attention of the social media really abusing in some cases the movement um, and it happened on Blackout Tuesday and the days preceding it and the days following it. But ever since, you see actually who was there to stay and who is there or who was there just to steal the moment. I think that's the benefit we have in looking at this now a few days later. We do now for sure know who was embracing this moment for the hit rate or, you know, <laughs> the views. Just to not be cancelled. Yes, exactly, to not be cancelled. Um, and who was to doing it because they actually are political people. I think the reason that influencers are problematic is because they fluff up the numbers. They fluff up the numbers of activists. And that is problematic because everyone thinks that it's a global movement when in reality it's, it's, it's not as many people as we think. And the reason it's not as many people as we think is because we include all these people who sort of very superficially claim to be part of the movement but won't do anything substantial to to ensure that this happens and that is problematic because while they raise awareness they are completely missing out on sort of the the second step of of this movement which is education implementing an understanding of how the world is that recognizes that maybe you have a white privilege and all of that stuff and that is not something that, at least to me and to you, probably seems evident from their posting. Yeah. People do have the right to protest. 
people do have the right to um, to be political, even if they weren't before. But they also should face the consequences in being framed as hypocrites if they're doing so because and if it shows that they're doing so because of the attention mm-hmm. um now you, you did allude to something that, that i want to come back to that this fear of being cancelled what does it yeah. mean Actually, cancel culture is something that is is very poisonous. I I was I, 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 there's this South African journalist who was had probably like had a private Twitter account, a hundred followers, and was on a plane back to South Africa, and she got cancelled. So she got fired and cancelled, and completely like she can't have any other job for making a in my view a distasteful joke about um about how uh black people have aids in uh south africa it wasn't funny i will admit it's not funny but um this lady who had a hundred followers was by no means famous yeah is basically out of a job and i think that 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 shows the extent to which cancel culture is is completely detrimental to a person's career because it's a digital record of of you doing something that's incorrect life doesn't give you the second chances it it gave you in the past yeah in the past absolutely not and you can see that from the way that now influencers or not necessarily influence all the social media trolls out there dig up dirt on uh, comedians. Uh, Kevin Hart comes to mind where he said a homopho- when he when he made a homophobic joke it back in 2012 and somebody found it. Everyone was okay with it until somebody found it said it was problematic and that led to him not being able to host the Oscars. And I mean, what's the productivity of all of that? I think you know, it's very easy to try and cancel someone by digging dirt on the past, but I think it's definitely more productive to have a friendlier conversation around any issue. Right? And I don't think it's fair to to cancel Kevin Hart for something he said back then he should have he's people should have attacked him back back then for what he said back then he's probably you know changed his ideas now today in a world where people are more lgbt inclusive in kevin hart's case but in general i think despite a lot of pessimism in the world the world has become a bit more inclusive inclusive in my view at least yeah I think if there is something in our times that is special is how mm. fast things that were believed to be comical, you know, jokes, are actually now redefined as offensive. Yeah. And it, it happens to come from one side of the spectrum. But... I'm afraid it, it, it can soon become, it, it can soon come from you know, both sides. This is something that hasn't existed before. And 
in a in a way it is a product of globalization it is a product of social media and it is a product of having a culture that cares about people so i think there is a positive to it in that we do have people caring about others in that we don't want them to be offended but is it really about that take the south african um journalist for example she's out of a job right the reason she's out of the job and i.e punished for for making that racist um joke uh was because companies did not want to associate with her because of what was online i think had had that not been online and had she said it you know among friends which is you know if we're taking this cancel culture and the grounds for canceling her seriously that should you know be just as as bad as posting it on twitter yeah. they wouldn't have had a problem hiring her because despite you know especially all these big corporations despite them maybe knowing that she had racist intentions i i really doubt they would have not turned a blind eye to that i think with a bit of imagination i could imagine in 10 20 years down the line even saying things in person in a casual conversation joking mm. could incriminate you and not i'm not saying yeah. incriminate you you know to go to court for it maybe it also but people and the devices that they carry will be able to soon record every aspect of their life and you know we already have done that with photos i mean the next step is really um recording audio also yeah. and with the help of the all the airpods and all the other products of it of the airport ecosystem i think this can happen pretty soon sooner than we think so canceling could actually be the the consequence the unwanted consequence of mm -hmm. saying things in a in a conversation as well soon so we just we just live in this period where what you say digitally really can be incriminating in comparison yeah. to what you say in in real life. And I think you should you should be able to be given a second chance. I mean obviously there are some cases where it's completely irreparable, but in most cases I think you should be given a second chance. Jamila Jamil, who's, you know, a very famous activist in uh, I was watching today a video of her Uh, explain how if she was cancelled six years ago she wouldn't have achieved all that she's achieved today with regards to how social media handles advertising to minors and all of that uh, which is you know positive activism which was essentially a byproduct of her saying things that were wrong being corrected on that and moving on and sure not everyone's like that i think that most people are good and most people want to improve and and better themselves and to in that respect you shouldn't be canceling people especially for making distasteful jokes 
Do you think if we if we do record eventually all of our aspects of our life, we will not have this phenomenon of cancelling because there will be so many grounds for for being cancelled that no one would care anymore about it. Yeah. In the same way that now nobody really cares about what Trump says, it doesn't have any effect, any shock effect to us. Whereas mm-hmm. at first it did. We're kind of, you know, become accustomed to it in a way. We have been saturated by it. And here I'm not trying to stay with Trump as a parallel or as, as, as an analog. I mean, Trump is a person that wouldn't take back any word he has said in the past. But maybe there will be a day where there will be a second chance again, even in the digital world, if everybody has everything online or in some way public. And there are so much things that you can be incriminated for. I mean, everybody will be in a way a criminal for what he says. And so there will be varying degrees of it, but you won't be in a position that you are fearing. And this is coming back to what we were saying. And this is why I asked that question. You won't be in that position where you fear really for your life, for what you just said, but while what you will be really fearing for your, let's say, career is for repeatedly saying things. For not changing, not taking that criticism and Yeah, exactly. And not and for not taking things back. Yeah. But for now, given the state of tech and media, we do have this fear or those that have the the followership that, you know, is a something that you wanna retain, that you wanna maybe grow also, have the fear of being cancelled for of losing everything at once uh, or in an instant um now if i was in their position i probably would have thought of what i did in a way in a in a a way that is at least similar in in the strategy or in the strategic thought Mm -hmm. but no even if you're cynical about your career you can't be cynical just not being (laughs) stupid (laughs) if i was to use that word you know so Anyway, I think we have covered this topic. Yeah, and I think it it blends well with the next topic yeah. because we talked about how people maybe slip through these cancel culture cracks because they've just sort of created a context around themselves where the more the the more ridiculous they get and the more ridiculous their content gets, they know that there's a steady upward trend of of views and follows which will come with it right are you talking about david dobrik (laughs) do you want to introduce him as you are the one who no 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 i don't think i don't think he needs introduction but what i will say is that i'm kind of already over him (laughs) so i mean i went through a phase with with david in that I discovered him a couple couple of months ago and I was really amazed by how, from his work actually, you know, you know, I mean, yes, he is a comedian in a sense, in the modern sense, and he is, you know, his his videos are full of pranks and he he is, he he acts dumb or he is dumb, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but his editing skills are really good. I don't know who does it. Maybe he does it himself, but 
they're really good. And I think this is what has um, kind of separated him from the others. So I'm sure there were many others out there on YouTube doing funny stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, this is something that is also worth discussing. Like, don't you think that in general with YouTube influencers, the more famous they get, they have more cash available to spend at their disposal to actually spend on their content. And the only way to reinvest it is to become more ridiculous or to do things that in the first couple of years they would have never thought of doing. And I mean, here I'm referring to the class of people that includes the, the, the poor brothers, but not only them, even those that are not in that type of content. But clickbait in general. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because they want to continue. Yeah, yeah they can want to continue this virality effect they have on mm. the platform, and they want to be the the video that is clicked, and yeah. they have to always one up themselves, themselves, and they yeah. want to they want to always one up the others as well on the platform. Anyway, I think David Dobrik is is special in the sense that he has really transitioned into something that could become very mainstream in a sense they are already talking about him maybe taking over like a like a talk show and this is could this could be like the the end point or the at least the next step in his career yet again he wants to one up himself and so he's taking the big risk of TikToking and stopping youtube altogether mm -hmm. um and Let's see. Let's see what this means. But for now, he's he is actually um, teamed up with a lot of people from that platform. Artemis has not joined this platform yet, and uh, no. I don't know when and how. Peaceful she will. protesting against the platform because I'm seeing in in my in in TikTok's defense, a lot of it ends up seeping into Instagram. I see a lot of TikToks on Instagram. I think that's I that's the reason why it has become so viral. Yeah. Or that's I think, why I think it has grown so much and so quickly because it's so well connected to the other platforms. And we'll see what will happen with ByteDance, the owner of TikTok. What will will the owner, the sort of company that owns TikTok, what they will do? Maybe they will join the Facebook clan. No, no, no. I don't think Facebook can buy them. Now they're at now they're so expensive. Not, not in that they're, they're so valuable. Though. They're very undervalued. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Compared I mean, to, compared to how much time, how much interaction all the on the users spend on the platform. It's not. It's not fully monetized yet, and it's. It it carries with it a risk that it will be outlawed, and I think that's that is why. Even in the, I think they're raising money now, or they're in talks of raising money. Yeah, because last time they capitalized, they raised money was in twenty eighteen. Yeah, think. now now they want to really capitalize on the fact that they are really now mm -hmm. bigger than than what they were before. At least where it makes sense or where it matters, being the U.S. Yeah. Um, now. Still, they they do carry with them this risk. This risk, and I think this risk, ironically, this risk of being outlawed, being a Chinese platform, 
will probably manifest itself not now with the Trump presidency, but rather with the next president being most likely Biden and, and a Democrat um, House and possibly also Senate. The Democrats have become real skeptics of, of China and they may be the ones that actually do the most harm to China ironically again um, even though you know it was Trump that actually alarmed people in a sense about about China and, China. and its threat I'm not saying I'm not saying that if any of them does it it's good I don't think at least for now there is a real proven case for allowing a platform that is now so big and you know so many people are on it mm -hmm. but um, that is again why I'm saying that anyone moving into this platform and, and, and even spending minutes or hours on it as a consumer, but really as a producer, they're taking a risk. It could yeah, happen that so. from one day to the next, you're unable to actually upload or our access takes off. Mm -hmm. We will see. And the, the, the issue is, I don't think it's that much a Democrat-Republican thing. I think it's more of a Biden-Trump thing. They're both market... They like markets. They're both capitalist guys. Uh, not to put them in the same sort of pool, yeah. but they both want a strong U.S. market, I think is fair to say. And I'm, and I'm using Biden here because if it were Sanders... I think we'd be having a different conversation. I don't think Sanders's policies and the way he speaks is as market friendly as it is more policy oriented and more. Sort yeah, of... but I don't think. But then again, if Sanders was a president, maybe there was a risk for any social media company to be um, either outlawed or severely restricted in in its activities, um, and having the government intervene really. Well, it would have led to government intervention in the in the GAFA conglomerates right yeah exactly would have led into exactly now i think what i was referring to is more about you know this nationalism that is mm -hmm. um really being shared now among the parties at least with respect to policy and that is policy against china or policies to do with china let's move on to influencers and influences in Europe specifically. So we've spoken a lot about what's happening in the US and we actually even spoke about an influencer in the US and I have to say that David did kind of join it but left it very quickly and that is because this is him, he's not a political person. Now, people that are political though here in Europe, people that 
maybe influencers. I mean, here the influencer definition can even include LinkedIn influencers. So actually people that mm -hmm. <laughs> that have credentials, yeah. <laughs> that have a working life. Yeah. And LinkedIn influencers very much are a thing. You see them uh, pop up all the time. Yes. The same people. And they are sometimes in common with the same people as the Twitter influencers. Yeah. Yeah. What is the relevance of the movement to Europe and how should they be reacting to it? That is the million dollar question. I think in Europe, well, there is racism towards black people as there is in the US. I, I, I'm not denying that. But I think in Europe, we also have racism targeted towards other groups europe as a whole here i mean you've got you know in eastern europe uh, a strong racism towards uh romani people you've got strong in, in greece you know you 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 have racism towards Albanians eastern europeans to some extent, eastern europeans and in France and uh, Belgium, you have racism towards Moroccans. And so it's it's a very big, it, it, it's, I think in Europe, what, what stands is not so much, and this is where it feeds in back to what you said about it being Black Lives Matter, but it's been so, it, it's more a, a, a cry to stop racism as a whole than it is to stop racism specifically targeted towards black people, I think. Uh, and I definitely think that that's how it's being interpreted here in Europe. Um, I don't know what you think. You live in a very progressive sort of country, but that in terms of inclusivity. Yeah, I think we both live in our in bubbles, in a sense. I'm, I'm very mm -hmm. self-conscious about things like that. In general, yeah. um, I try to really separate myself from the others when I am trying to describe my experience, at least the others being my other nationals, because I am working in a multicultural multinational firm with people that are mostly white if I were to describe yeah. them by race and mm -hmm. you know we there is a, a mix in genders but it's mostly a homogenous organization so this yeah. is a reason why it is a bubble because it isn't the world out there mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, if you just even walk in the streets of, of Vienna, you will see people from all across the world. I mean, from origins and having faiths that are from, that are not, let's say, or that have not been originated in Europe. Yeah. And on top of that, I live, you know, 
in an accommodation, in let's say an area where it is accepted to be different. So mm -hmm. for me, racism isn't really a phenomenon, an everyday phenomenon. So I don't want to make it personal, but I think it, it is, it, I think a lot of people like me feel that they're in the same position. Yeah. So in a sense, this whole discussion feels foreign, but yet again, I would feel it would feel foreign even if I was in the US and, I've, in a, and I was living in a, in a bubble like this. Um, you know, maybe I had, I was actually working in VC in San Francisco where it's exactly the same in the sense that this, it's a white only environment. It's just that in the U S you could be somehow, it could be argued that there is that guilt that people feel for the wrongdoings of past generations which mm -hmm. isn't a thing here in Europe because yes there have there has been you know discrimination against certain populations in certain countries but it hasn't been with the exception of the Jewish people it hasn't been on mass and it hasn't been in the form of say slavery at least for for hundreds of years yeah uh I don't so the know historical context of this is is different you know because there's a lot of history that is being brought up now because of this movement um you know this mm -hmm. 1619 project is let's say the thought leader of of at least this part of the movement mm -hmm. and these concepts i mean at least these experiences and these are foreign to you at least in my opinion yeah i i agree to some extent i think the slavery part take france for example they definitely maybe you wouldn't classify it as slavery but it, it definitely insofar as you're getting people to work in bad conditions and to do stuff for you for little pay and for little respect goes if we're defining slavery like that um then france is definitely guilty of that and so are so so are many countries who imported um labor from north africa from sub-saharan africa from morocco from algeria and had them come up and do the dirty work for France, um, for example, after World War II and to rebuild the city. And then when they saw a high influx of people coming, they were like, no, we, we don't want them anymore. We're going to just stuff them in the ghetto and... Uh, you know they're gonna it's they're gonna procreate they're gonna expand they're gonna still exist and they're gonna create the jungle of calais or other issues of completely marginalized communities completely ghettoified communities that pose a big problem now but and uh, there wasn't such a link before to racism and this link between racism and how you treat people 
in your everyday life, in your professional life, wasn't connected, at least until recently here in Europe, to events that initiated hundreds of years ago because of colonization. And it has been somehow become permanent be over time or or it has continued in or evolved over time this marginalization of certain mm. populations this is a this is a what i'm trying to argue here is that this is fairly new to europeans not that racism I, is yeah. new but rather this this really contextualization of racism is new. I call it foreign as well because at least for example the examples that you brought up I don't feel like the source of racism and here I'm talking about the examples occurring in, in, in you know Eastern Europe and in Greece where I come from and and um, I have experienced myself. It's more about being different and the fear of the difference rather than the, the fact that these people somehow have been marginalized over hundreds of years. Actually, in the case of, of Greece and the populations that feel marginalized in Greece, these people first came to what we call Greece nowadays only tens of years ago, you know, and actually only hundreds or let's say 150 years ago, these populations that have been like, for example, the Albanians that have been marginalized in Greece were actually part of the Greek population or the population that existed in the Greek area in some form because they spoke that language or anyway, there was, it was a mix of a situation in, um, in Greece. Actually, Greece has become more racist over time. That is the problem really in Greece. It wasn't so much so it was actually more accepting of the difference or of the different faith. Uh, well, what Greece are you talking about? I'm talking though, about in the, this case. The, I'm talking about the Greece really of the 1800s. You know, where you had mixed faith cities. You had villages within the same region that would be of people of different origins, different languages, and this would primarily be in the north of Greece, and that's why the north of Greece has also been the the area where they ha there are the most disputes about, you know, names, and mm. which, yeah. which, I mean, which place is, is yours or mine, or whether, you know, 
my ancestor is actually the rightful owner of this etc 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 because that's that's mainly because the north of greece was the last to be yeah but why liberated from ottoman occupation and also going back to what i was saying before or trying Mm -hmm. to return to the generalization here the historical explanation let's say diagnosis of racism systemic racism in the u.s does not apply copy paste in europe i just gave you an example of a country where at at the time where there was slavery in the u.s in greece there was I'm not saying there was some kind of, you know, (laughs) paradise, racial paradise, interracial paradise in in Greece, but there was a harmony in a sense. Coming back to sort of what the young generation of Europeans should do. I think I think if you if you feel like you want to stand in solidarity, you should. But if if you're just going to post a black square, if you're just going to. And this applies to the sort of the U.S. And, and Europe. If you're just going to flagrantly and superficially care about this, then don't bother. I'm not saying that because I don't see the impact that social media influencers have, but I think that if you're going to superficially post, you are neutral about this movement. And clearly, you can't be neutral about this movement. You're either pro-racism anti-racism and if you're neutral you don't care about it which means you're coming from a point of privilege which means that you need to be awakened to the movement you need to be awakened to your privileges and therefore you're part of what the movement is trying to educate you're part of what the movement is trying to challenge and if you're posting all these things in solidarity it's very hard to see how many people this movement needs to be targeted towards I'm not sure how to... I think that that is enough for one episode. <laughs> yeah, that is enough. I think we covered a lot. Yeah. In a very small span of time. See you soon. See ya. Bye.